You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week, we're going to be covering stuff that was shown at Cinegear, talking to Jason, who's on location in Europe, and having a look at Odmax, which is the 4K delivery platform device linked to RED, which has well, let's face it, been quiet, but now uh, we've got them in the red room. We're also going to be, of course, uh, mining the uh, the various news, filtering the blogs, and of course going down some serious rat holes. This is all the camera tech we like talking about, obsessing about, playing with, and filming with. And of course, we want you to join in on the conversation. And Jason, you are coming to us today from what, Prague? I am from Prague. From Hello. Prague? Welcome. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit like lost in translation. Um so it's a very yeah, leisurely every conversation around me is not in my native language. It's a very leisurely Saturday afternoon here, and it's a very very early, I presume, Saturday morning in Prague. It is, yeah. I'm going to go for uh, get up early, have a run, and then go and try and find a decent coffee, and then got to do a bit of wrecking and things. But yeah, it's been great. Crew here is really terrific, and uh, the place is just astounding. I've never been here before. It's um, I'm staying in Old Town, which uh, and there's New Town, which apparently is actually older than old town so it's all a bit confusing but uh, I'll tell you the architecture is fantastic every street corner you turn you looks like uh, looks like a scene from um, Armadillo uh, Hollywood movie probably because it actually was <laughs> no I mean it's like you know it's it's very much like you just imagine I mean this is where they come and shoot a lot of you know chase you know, chase scene a lot of lot of action movies where you know you can a little bit more freedom perhaps to blow shit up <laughs> hey, but, um, uh, yeah, it's amazing, allowed, amazing architecture. Can we get a brief, without naming the product or anything, can we get a neat, brief idea of what you're filming there? You're directing, of course. Uh, yes, household cleaning products for the States. Excellent. So, um, so it's incredibly yeah, kind yes, of you to yes, get up at 5 a.m. to talk to us. Uh, I just think it's unbelievably uh, early there. But anyway, thanks so much. So, since we spoke to you guys last... Uh, yeah, but my at... brain's still on the same time as you, mate. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I was up an hour ago. Since we spoke you know to you guys like. last, we've had Cinegear in Los Angeles. Uh, Jeff and John actually went to Cinegear, and uh, we have a short interview coming up with them from Cinegear, uh, where they were looking at some new uh, tech and stuff. And, uh, and of course, as I said earlier, we're going to be uh, following up on what's happening on that 4K delivery system in the, uh, in the Red Room later in the show. This, however, will probably be a slightly shorter show than normal because simply uh, we're going to run out of Jason's uh, will to live before he gets coffee and, of course, also his battery life. <laughs> hey, um, what are you shooting on in, uh, in Prague? Uh, epic. It's seen probably a couple of epics. It's kind of run and gun and very sort of natural doco style, but... Uh... Uh, and it's the usual battle of, well, not a battle, it's not, it hasn't been a battle yet, but uh, the usual issue of uh, everything that uh, is used as reference is the stuff that we love, and this is what the kind of thing we'd like you to do is stuff inevitably pretty, pretty stuff that I've done on, you know, full frame. And of course, uh, American agencies uh, who handle the post, I'm literally going to shoot and then go and leave them to it, uh, have a bit more control and, and hearsay over uh, what I would shoot on and the format I need to shoot on and so I have requested raw um, so obviously Alexa and, and epic were the two choices so I'll go with what I know more um, but yes the really stripped down 
uh, stripped down sort of run and gun epics sort of filming kids and um, uh, very much reality style so um, yeah I've got a couple of little bits of epic gear that I'll, I'll, I'll touch on uh, when we get into gear a little bit stuff I've been playing with well actually why don't we start oh, there play Just, with the, what, what, uh, have, what have you been playing with Oh, the well, I had a play with the, and I posted the thing on Vimeo, the the Sony, which you I think might have had a play on with by now, Mike, the Sony FS seven hundred with that um, speed boost booster thing, the uh, Metabones lens adapter. It is, as you say, I think they even say it themselves. It is one of those things that you're testing, and you go, "This is too good to be true." I got out circuit diagrams and optical path diagrams and tried to work it all out, um, but it is a remarkable piece of uh, camera tech, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's definitely, from all reports, I just never came across it, but the, from all reports, there's definitely some lenses that it's happier with and some lenses that it doesn't play so well with. But uh, it definitely, uh, with the right lenses and the right camera combination, it can be, as I felt, I felt shooting with those, that combination, I really felt like I was uh, shooting full-frame footage and uh, I really felt quite at home, actually. Um, despite the ergonomics of the FS7 being sort of, you know, not 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 what I'm used to, um, it was a really nice combination, and I really did feel like I was uh, shooting with the 5D, but with you know the ability to do super amazing um, uh, overcranking and have a, a bit more control of the image uh, menu-wise. Codec not massively different. Um, than say the 5D codec, so you know you're not really shooting raw or anything, but it's it's, it's a pretty impressive um, thing to get out there, shoot two, four hundred, eight hundred frames per second bursts, shoot it on it's a full full frame kind of a look, and uh, go all morning shooting the standard Wingrove test chart of a uh, a ocean pool before dawn, and um, uh, shoot all morning, three, four hours, and only use about 25% of a battery and about half of a 16 gig SD card. Uh, it's kind of, kind of refreshing to, uh, yeah. I was very, very, very impressed with the whole combo. But yeah, that lens adapter is, 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 is a, a lot better than I thought it would be. I expected to see some really weird bokeh. I expected to see weird um, vignetting or... Um, uh, chromatic, a lot of chromatic aberration, or expected to not be able to achieve infinity or whatever. So maybe these are some of the issues you might find with other lenses. But the stuff I was using, uh, like uh, Zeiss Z50s um, and 85s and Contax 135s and things like that, and I didn't, I didn't really find any any issues at all. And when you put your 14 f1.4 lens on it, the camera says, "Yep, you're shooting at f1." <laughs> it's kind of weird. I've got to say, the, um, the really amazing thing about it, of course, it doesn't work uh, unless you can change camera manufacturers from lenses in the sense you can't, you know, obviously use this on a Canon uh, 5D with a Canon lens. It doesn't make any sense to do that from a couple of points of view. But if you can, for example, take a Canon lens and stick it on that uh, Sony, you are getting a wider field of view, you are getting f-stop, and you're getting a better MTF um, and it is an astounding piece of incredibly useful kit. And I've got to say, if I had a FS700, I can't imagine not owning it. It's the anti-doubler. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> the anti-doubler. Yes, it definitely only works with some cameras with the sort of shorter uh, gate depth 
um, kind of mirrorless things, which uh, the uh, E-mount on stuff like the FS700 has. So, um, yeah, I was very impressed. You, yes, you definitely want to be shooting with that combo all the time. I'd be interested to hear from people who know of what lenses won't work and what combos they've found. But um, I imagine you get very similar results without the slow mobility on something like an NEX5 or NEX, the new NEX6s and things like that. It's... Um, uh, and I believe I've been told that there is a an adapter in the works for the FZ mount for which is the large mount for the F55s, F5s, F3s, things like that. So uh, obviously that'll be a far more expensive, larger piece of glass, but it will be designed to use on on that 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 big amount. So it'll expand it towards cameras that have much better codecs and because um, the gate depth is sort of similar to the e-mount on the on that larger larger mount so it should be very interesting and this is all stopgap of course until somebody comes up with um, a full frame uh, full frame camera with you know grown-up codecs and uh, you know grown-up onset onset chops Jason how much did that cost that speed booster it's pretty expensive. I think it was about five, six hundred dollars or so. There's a million Chinese knockoffs now, uh, although no doubt in various various grades of uh, quality. Uh, I haven't tested any, and I don't know anybody who has yet. But certainly, you search eBay for speed booster, you're going to see um, hundreds come up in in similar sort of combinations to E mount and and, and things like that um, for I think a couple of hundred bucks. Maybe worth testing and playing with as well. You might have an issue with one lens, with one adapter on one combination, which another version, some other knockoff might 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 get that right, but get everything else wrong. So, but uh, again, this is all this is all uh, stopgap for me. For um, I mean, if you you know, obviously if you own one of these cameras, this will give you that look um, without having to go change cameras. But uh, for me, it's um, a stopgap until whoever wins the. Um, give me the grown-up camera with full frame race <laughs> so um this sort of segues well I into. Be, I sometimes feel like i'm bashing my head head sorry go ahead this uh sorry, segues we well into here. our cine gear coverage because one of the things that was announced at cine gear relates to the fs 700 by the way um and also related to this you had an f5 did you or an f55 from sony at the same time uh, yeah, had a bit of a test again, had a bit of a hands-on. Actually, the, the more interesting part of the test that I had was their new... You remember, Mike, they brought out... With the F3, they brought out their sort of set of three uh, Cine Primes. Yep. Uh, 35, 50, 85 or something, I think it was. And uh, they've learnt from the feedback, shall we say, <laughs> of those three lenses... Um, and brought out six new, I mean, they, they have a couple of different kits. They have a kit that would add to those existing lenses, and they have a new, basically a new set of six primes, and you can either buy that as a set of three or a set of six. Uh, I've got to say, uh, although, you know, the, the, they're all F2, which is nice. I mean, they don't start with one point something, which would be lovely, but, you know, there's probably not much in it. But yep. the new Cine Primes, oh, it's just so, I mean, these are these are not small, compact, like, um, um, you know, these are not compact stuff like the new full-frame Schneiders or whatever. These are large, large-fronted, big, sort of master prime size and weight. 
uh, but without the price. I was very impressed with them, they're very sharp. Um, like a lot of these lenses, they don't have, I'm going to say they don't have a lot of character. It doesn't mean that's wrong. That means that they're designed to be almost like a, um, a reference lens in a way that they give you um, that there's no quirks in a way, you know, they're, they're sharp and they're clean and they don't flare and, you know, designed to be a great baseline lens and uh, I reckon they would compete with a lot of glass out there, beautifully made, like it is just stratospherically different from the other old lenses to, to the new ones, these things are, and when you, when you break it down the price of like, a, I think a set of six is something like 20 grand, so that's like three and a bit grand per lens I mean these things are massive beautifully re beautifully housed great focus range great focus massive focus travel marked on either side of the lens so depending on which side you're pulling focus from um, all common fronted I think it's probably one one fourteen mil I'm not sure what what frontage it is uh, that's useful I'm, isn't it it's good having uh, yeah so like three three grand or so for a lens I mean yeah. man, I've come close to paying that for some kind of nutso stills lens you know that's just amazing, amazing, amazing value. The well, only thing I'm trying to find out uh, is what the image circle will be, you know, with future cameras coming and or if you wanted to use these on, say, 6K even or on, no doubt, the full-frame cameras that uh, Sony themselves have got planned. Um, I'd be interested to know what the image circle and what they will cover because that will hold some people back. Obviously, for the, I mean, it's designed to be... Uh, a good package deal with, say, buying an F5 or an F55, but um, uh, there will be a lot of people who might want to just buy the glass only or buy glass to use on multiple cameras like a rental house. Mm -hmm. So we await that uh, info, which will be very interesting to know. Well, the reason I uh, was saying that was a segue yeah, if into... If you can find them, go have a play. The reason I was saying that was a segue into Cinegear is that uh, the FS700 is, of course, effectively a, a kind of like a high-speed little... Uh, version of the F5 or F55, um, and it uh, there were talks of from the outset that it was going to have uh, 4K capabilities, you know, down the line. Now the thing about this camera, oh yeah, that's right, yes, is that it does actually uh, work with the same kind of external recorder. It doesn't it doesn't follow with uh, with uh, Wingrove's uh, Axum, but it does um, allow you to use some of the same tech to record these uh, frames, though not at particularly high burst rates at um, at 4K, but in addition to the Sony gear that does that, which is, um, I believe, the HRX IF5 with the H A ASX R5 recorder. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, there's also the Odyssey yeah, the 7... Yeah, the R5 is a recorder, yep. Yeah, there's also the Odyssey 7Q, which is the um, uh, basically OLED monitor from Odyssey that um, will do 4K recording as well that's going to support and work with um, the FS700. And they actually had the Odyssey running with the FS700 at... Uh, at Cinegear. So this is pretty significant from Sony's point of view because uh, the Odyssey make really good, um, I think the OLED 7 or 7.5 inch OLED is about tw uh, 1280 by 800, um, but it also doubles as this uh, external 4K RAW recorder in uncompressed DNX HD formats, uh, in RAW and uncompressed, DN <laughs> uncompressed and DNX HD formats, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, uh, and Sony have worked with them to develop this. This is not something that's just come up out independently. I think you know they've been working hand in hand to make this work. Yeah, yeah, and I think the Odyssey Seven will be um, a really good choice for people. Is the Odyssey Seven the same as the Seven Q, or is that a different version of the Odyssey line from Convergent Designs? Uh, it's different. I think one will will record four streams. 
four inputs, I think, hence the, the quad, the idea. But um, yes, very very similar, same monitor, same, you know. That, right. That's, that's its... Uh, I was a bit down on the... It'll do record four inputs. Yeah, Not I was a bit down sure on the Odyssey 7 stuff because it didn't record but... Apple ProRes, and I thought it should record Apple ProRes. But recording um, the RAW um, is spectacular. I believe that we're talking about, what, $1,300, $1,500 as a sort of starting price in the Odyssey 7 range. Um, and yeah, obviously... well, for $1,300, but that's minus the SSDs. You've got to buy the SSDs. So right. I think, you know, these two, these these combinations for the FS700, and I mean, they, they, it does add up. The, the R5 and the uh, adapter, you know, there's a few there's a few thousand in there. And then if you go the Odyssey route, then you've got to buy the SSDs to go with that so and i think they're like maybe a grand a pop or a grand or so you know you'd be a couple of to have a have a have a a decent size ssd and then have a uh, a you know a spare would be you know you're getting into sort of four four ish five ish grand for you know a fully kitted up odyssey speaking out my ass a little bit but you know hey why stop now now, one of the things that I understood was that the Odyssey was only going to record um, 2K RAW and not actually record full 4K RAW. I don't know if you've uh, got an update on that or not, but um, that's the best that I could no, find I thought, out at this point. No, I haven't. Um, again, no, I would be continuing to speak out my butt if I continued further, but I thought it did. Uh, for, I thought it was a it was a 4K option but yeah, the the 2k um, option is the cine uh, dng raw format um so it's probably what 10 or 12 bits um i, I don't know uh i know i know the the frame rate is lower at 4k i don't know whether they do a um similar kind of uh, 4k recording though i can certainly find that out from the guys at sony and report back in the next show um but that was i thought an interesting development mm. it's it's a shame obviously that it's not recording it on board as per what you'd like but uh certainly this um fs 700 is a pretty interesting camera from sony I, I do not. I mean, it's it's a really interesting camera. I mean, I, the it's 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 a it's a it's a kind of quirky thing in a way because it feels like it's using the same kind of codec as the FS as the uh, NEX fives, like the little sort of pocket cameras, and um, a lot of their other little. You know, there's a whole bunch use that sort of ABC HD, that same sort of codec, which the, the the, the, the camera is a bit better than the codec itself, you know. I mean, the camera's really capable because of that codec, but also it's, it's, it feels like it's kind of held back a little bit by it. I mean, it's amazing, amazing to sit there and, you know, to have something in your hand and go and do like this burst mode, be it pre, pre-trigger or post-trigger, do 4, 800, 200. And I was really happy with the results, and I didn't, I wasn't really... Um, uh, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily you'd probably think twice before you went out to, to um, go shoot something for, you know, a big screen. But um, I think it, you know, it can definitely hold its own on, on broadcast and HD uh, at, at a lot of those high frame rates. But to be able to shoot that and then and then have it record on an SD card, I did I did ages and ages of footage and really just didn't end up with, with, with very much in terms of a data hit. 
Um, and it, it has a very nice sort of cinematic kind of DSLR-y feel. You're not getting forward and stops of dynamic range or anything. But I just it kind of feels like the camera is being held back a little bit by that codec. It's made amazingly flexible by it, but again, it is... Um, it would be if that camera had a a better codec for just regular shooting. Not, for, I mean, obviously, it's bumped down to the lower codec to be able to let you do those burst modes and the high and the and the overcranking. But you know, for regular shooting, it would be awesome if it had a higher, you know, a, a higher quality codec. Really, it's just um, you know, if you're using the same codec as like your little compact point and shoots, it's it's kind of definitely clear that that camera is, you know, the codec is, 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 deserves to be better for that machine. It's a very, very capable, very capable camera. The viewfinder, I could, you know, could be improved a little bit because it's one of those kind of clip-on loop tube things that clips over a, a, a um, you know, the pop-up LCD. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an affordable camera, eight or nine or so grand with the whole thing and, uh, it has that very impressive little flash memory unit you can click on the side this is all self-powered self-contained and will record for hours and hours on that uh, on that codec so yeah it's a very it's a very 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 impressive thing and again with the speed booster it's a it's a really lovely really lovely um, capable combination I'm sure now in my googling that, it, that we are definitely able to do 4k with the Odyssey with the FS 700 but again we'll try and get a clarification on that so um the other thing that uh, struck our eye collectively being uh, jeff and john at the event and certainly from me um watching from back here was the fact that uh, at cinegear we saw the uh, nova 2k raw camera so sort of in in keeping with that discussion about the fs 700 we're obviously big fans of raw here for what it allows you to do in post-production and uh, this was a camera that i thought was going to be unattainium it is actually semi-unattainium in the sense that uh, you can't buy it, you can only rent it. Um, but there is a, uh, a version right now that's available um, that is uh, basically, um, well, it's tiny. <laughs> um, but perhaps not surprisingly, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very small. <laughs> um, it comes with a C yeah, mount, so, I mean, this is based PL, on Nikon, the or Canon mount. Yeah. Go on, Jace. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, yeah, it's a rehoused uh, GoPro, right, with a, with a C mount. Uh, on it and uh, yeah giving you lots of uh, external outputs for you know a little bit more sort of a little bit more onset friendly um, outputs for uh, external monitors etc um, and gives you the ability to have uh, c-mount glass on there and you can have gearings and then that will give you the ability to have uh, you know put full focus or remote focus on there but you probably don't pull focus much i mean what sort of i mean did the sensor size is there any uh what do we know about that well we know that it's a, a 12.4 megapixel uh sensor i don't know the exact sensor size but i mean as i say it, it is built on the uh, gopro I actually believe it has the C-mount, but I think mm. it's interchangeable, PL, Canon, Nikon, and C-mount. I don't think it's just one with adapters. Um, okay. And there's right. there's right. the original yeah, one look, that's I coming out. for crash cams, it would be. It absolutely has been used as crash cam. It's only available as rental right now. Um, now, this is uh, mm. basically mm. A, a joint venture between ViewFactor and Radiant Images. 
so the camera exists as it is, as the Nova. There's also the Nova 2K, which isn't sort of yet fully released. Um, and that's going to have an uh, additional rental partner of um, uh, PS Technica. And the 2K um, is going to be shooting uncompressed 2K RAW. And it's a bigger physical um, Nova packaging. Uh, we'll put sort of uh, some pictures up in the right. show notes and online. But it's... Um, yeah, it was something that, that caught everybody's attention, SI I think. Ks. I think it caught a lot of people's attention at the show. Uh, we mm. actually have an interview that yeah, Jeff... Yeah, well, I think I'd, they did have these at NAV, but they were very much under glass. No one was running around with them. They were very much sort of, you know, blink and you'll miss it, sort of very much corner of the show. But uh, they definitely uh, lifted their game for Cinegear for, uh, you know, this is very much a much larger display and much very much front of, front of house. So they you know, really clearly, I think, in the interim have realised that there's... Um, uh, you know, this is not just niche demand that, that I think maybe they're onto something. Yeah, yeah. I think it um, it's a really interesting thing to have that additional um, lensing, which is something that, of course, you don't have in any way, shape or form uh, with the GoPro. And the GoPro has proven to be an incredibly interesting piece of technology in its own right. Um, I mean, just astoundingly mm. interesting so what's kind of interesting for me, though, is seeing some of the rigs that the guys had of this at, uh, at Cinegear, and we'll put some images up, but just some extraordinary contraptions, I suppose, the way to describe it. Um, I don't even think I'd call them camera rigs per se. They're just whacked out, tiny, like looks like a lens with nothing on the end of it. Oh, wait, there is a camera at the end. <laughs> some vast, bloody Zeiss lenses with tiny little cameras yeah. at the end. It's it's crazy. Yeah, but it's good for uh, just be able to do run and gun, but with a little bit more practicality. You know, to literally have a better chance of seeing what you're doing, and to um, you know make it a little bit more on set friendly. And um, if you're doing like absolutely like slam cam kind of you know things and bolting and rigging this stuff, it's much nicer to have a bit more on set friendly sort of stuff, and not having to have extra bits and cages and add-ons and sticky, you know, little housings where you can't fit the cable in and, you know, it's much, much, and, you know, it's hard to press buttons in underwater housings and touch screens that don't work very well. And so it's, um, yeah, they've certainly taken the technology and broken it out. I mean, I'm still with probably dealing with this, dealing with the same back end where you can't really have control of um, your shutter speed, but uh, the advantage of having the external lens is that you will have direct access to your iris. It's um yeah it's it's definitely a fairly robust housing as well isn't it I mean it looks like it's going to withstand a lot more I don't know that you want to crash it in a crash cam sense particularly but it you know it looks certainly from my point of view to be a a much more kind of robust physical housing yeah, I mean, I think it is very very much considered crash cam in in Hollywood terms when you look at something like um, you know a lot of com a lot of a lot of big Hollywood films consider five ds to be very you know expendable. Um, and you know, we'll <laughs> we'll chat to the guys from um, Fury Road once they're uh, out of NDAs and that film's closer to release, and we can talk probably. <laughs> but um, and they'll be able to tell us some of those war stories. But uh, let me tell you, uh, the five D at that at higher end of uh, Hollywood land, five uh, D becomes a consumable. Yes, I think we're not allowed. I think I think we're allowed to say that uh, that they came back with less five Ds than they went with. I mean, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, per day. Yes. 
Hey, um, let's cross now to Jeff's interview uh, at uh, Cinegear, and uh, and uh, this was recorded earlier, obviously, uh, by Jeff on location at Cinegear. He and uh, and John were actually at the uh, at the LA event. You are entering the Red Room. So we're looking at the Novo camera. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, basically it's a GoPro Hero 3 rehoused in a much more compact configuration. Still has all the capabilities of the GoPro Hero 3 Black Edition, now with the ability to put a C-mount lens. So C-mount lens like uh, normal? Yeah, we have a C-mount lens from different manufacturers. We use Fujinon, Kawa, and Schneider. Now it gives you the capability of, of going from a 3 mil to an 85 mil range. What's the magnification range on that? Uh, basically, it's 3.3 to four times the focal length to get your 35 millimeter equivalent. Now you don't have the flat image that you usually have from the GoPro. Now it's more of a flat image, more cinematic look, and that's what the tool was made for, to give the cinematographer another tool to use out in the field, still with a small footprint, and to be able to use it you know, in whatever configuration. You can mount it on the dash, on someone's chest, a helmet and you have no restrictions. You still have all the Wi-Fi capabilities, so you can send it to your iPhone, your iPad, uh, the remote start and stop. Uh, the only thing we, uh, that's not on there is the audio. Since we compacted, that was the only thing we lost. But usually you have your sound guy that's picking up audio for that. Looks like you've ruggedized it a little bit more too, maybe? Yeah, we made it a little more robust. We also added some uh, points of the uh, contact on the bottom. We're gonna also going to do some kind of uh, housing, so you can put it in like a crash housing, also underwater, since now you can't use the, uh, the accessories that you normally come with the kit. You can still use the LCD back, um, the battery pack on the back, and the key fob. So those functions are still there. It's being used in productions now? Yeah, it's on uh, uh, Transformers 4, it's on Need for Speed, and uh, a few other productions. Uh, World Series of Poker did a test with it. Uh, we're trying to work with uh, NFL Films, so it's, it's high demand, short supply. It's only available for rent, and we're the only ones that have it. Oh, is it only going to be available for rent forever? Yes. Uh, at this point in time, yes. Okay, that's interesting. And then you have a new model coming. This was announced at NAB, right? The Novo? The Novo was announced in NAB. Um, it's been out uh, for the last uh, few months now. And we're going to redesign it to the next level, which is going to be 2K. So the 2K imagery using the same C-mount lenses. That's in development. So the Hero 3 does 2K now, right? So this doesn't, the, wait, the original Novo, what does it do resolution-wise? That's the same as the, uh, the, the GoPro currently. There. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I was just confused because I thought the Nova, I thought the GoPro went to 2.7. Yeah. Yeah. So the 2K, what's the? What's well, going to be a larger sensor? Oh, it's a larger sensor. Yeah. Yeah. So you still have the same sensor in the GoPro as you do. Oh, I see. Buying it off the shelf. Right. So the Nova 2K is not a GoPro-based product. Right. Right. It's taking up to the next next level. I got gotcha. you. So yeah. be a better magnification. Yes. All that. Yeah. Okay. Still amazingly small for what you're getting. Yeah. What's the? What are you? So the GoPro. Do you know what the file format's going to be for that yet, the Dova uh, 2K? It's probably still going to be the MPEG-4 format. Uh, it's still in the design stage of beta testing and whatnot. Since the, the, the guts of the camera is still the same as the GoPro, we're kind of working within the parameters with the manufacturer and kind of developing, trying to push the envelope as much as we can, uh, upgrading the IR filter that's inside there, uh, giving it more recording time, and, you know, other capabilities. Okay, thanks very much. All right, thank you.
Well, I want to thank Jeff and also John. Uh, they've supplied a bunch of photos um, from the show. And actually, they got a lot of help from uh, uh, Jason Wolf, who uh, was incredibly helpful. In fact, <laughs> the guys voted him out the most helpful PR person in the history of PR people, um, who uh, supplied us with a bunch of uh, images so we could show you some of that stuff. So, um, Jason, Cinegear is a pretty interesting show, but it's outdoors. It's a very different sort of show than normal. And I understand it from talking to the guys. It was once again flooded with uh, drone chopper things, as we kind of saw started at NAB. Yeah, I mean, what would be interesting to know is how much, how many of these are actually uh, airworthy. Do they have not airworthy, but you know, are are uh, do they have to have the uh, same like CAA, uh, FAA approval and things? I imagine we're we're definitely battling that here in Australia with um, CASA uh, wanting a piece of the pie sort of pretending to somewhat want to control this stuff from a safety point of view uh, but happy to tell you to your face that it's okay to go and fly these things if you're not making any money out of it but if this is a commercial operation then hang on a second we might have to lock this down a bit so it's and it's very frustrating for operators who have spent an awful lot of money uh, suiting this stuff up and have you know not seem to be and seem to be um, uh, not breaking any rules, but uh, suddenly, once you know, it's suddenly like uh, they've sort of caught in the storm of, um, I guess, the birth of this technology. All of a sudden, I think there becomes new rules to be invented after you've bought the thing, which is, you know, again, very frustrating. And they need to sort it out where um, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of uh, conflicting information, there's a lot of people being at least here, and I'm sure it must be the same over there. Uh, a lot of scare tactics and scaremongering about, you know, privacy and things like, oh my God, people can fly over my house. Yes, people can. I mean, they can get a hot air balloon and do it tomorrow for a real estate shoot or they can, you know, get literally, you know, people are worried about people being able to see stuff that is out there in the public anyway, right? Oh my God, people filming in the front of my house. Well, your house has a front unless you have a, some kind of underground bunker lair inside a volcano your house is kind of you know you have no real expectation of privacy not everybody is, is wanting to do uh, you know to, to go to film you um, bathing sunbathing by your pool but I guess that's the the the, the, the fear but uh, I think there needs to be, I guess, some sort of categorizing that people sort of say we are here to do real estate or we are here to do, um, um, you know, to do, to do legitimate filmmaking. And this is our certification. And if, if we go outside those realms, then we can get busted. But please just let us get on with it. Um, so I'd love to know what the deal is over there because the uh, the proliferation, as we said, we saw that a lot of that at NEB and a ton at Cinegear that... Um, a lot of a lot of me too kind of companies and no one really doing anything com crazily out of the, out of the out of the out of the square but there must be a market for it and there must be uh, i guess they haven't had the same constraints that we have uh, in australia yeah i mean i think the thing is that a lot of the octocopters as you highlighted i think in an earlier rc started with you know a really small camera like a gopro uh, what we're seeing uh, a lot of there's an octocopter um drone at uh, Cinegear it was able to carry 12 pounds lets you put an epic on the bottom of it it's got obviously 
you know, a lot of stabilization due to the fact that there are eight of the, uh, you know, the blades. But more than that, it's got uh, actual GPS-based uh, gyro-stabilizing electronics, auto-piloting, um, return-to-base kind of stuff. I mean, these are these are getting to be fairly sophisticated drones. Uh, these, <laughs> these are not just, yeah, you know, toys. Yeah, that's heading into Alexa-carrying territory, that one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, God, God no. Absolutely. But I mean, surely Epic there are safety issues just with the blades Epic. at the level that we're at now. If that thing came down near a child, I, I'd, you know, fear tremendously as a parent about uh, just the amount of power in the blades to lift cameras like an Alexa or an Epic. It's the blades aren't, I mean, the blades will give you a bit of a cut, but they certainly won't sort of almost near chop your head off like some like larger, you know, mane and tail kind of setups. The main thing is going to be the weight. Um, probably is the fact that it's going to be a real, it's going to be a bit of a beast. It's going to hit <laughs> the blades. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's something in the blades. I mean, it's not like you're more worried about that weight a, of um, fifteen pounds dropping on your head. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to drop like a stone. That, that is um, not exactly. It's uh, not like uh, like a regular, even a, even a regular um, uh, regular setup main and tail rotor system for a standard film RC copter can still do an auto rotate if it has a, an engine failure you can still flare at the bottom and sort of if your engine cuts out you can still buffer that you've got no hope in hell of doing that with an octocopter power out is is power out it becomes you know next next stop is uh, the ground physics will apply um, so the, I mean there's a lot of fail safe for those things very clever systems you know they all will always return to their um, first GPS coordinate you know and they will they will do lots of limp home modes and lots of go home modes and lots of safety is built into the the controller system of this but yes an actual power failure is is um, uh, it's coming down quick and as they get bigger and uh, they should be getting smaller the cameras are getting smaller you know you could, there's no reason you couldn't shoot with a you know the the um uh, you'll see them maybe they'll, they'll see a bit of a push to them getting smaller when we can have things like the black magic pocket or just the black magics where you can have raw and you can have easily you know hd or 2k um but, yeah i think i think i mean i've, I've never I've only known of one incident, but that was a while ago. With, um, with and, that, and there was no, there was no incident to anybody, but it could have, could have been. Uh, yeah, I think uh, let's can we get these things smaller and lighter, as we've seen with the DJI, you know, the Phantom. These things are getting, you know, you can getting they're getting very capable, um, very quickly. Well, now we're so recording this on the weekend, becoming a bit more of a one-man band thing. We're recording this on the weekend. By the time this is edited and goes out, um, the Worldwide Developers Conference will have just started in America. So we're not going to discuss what is or isn't released at the keynote address at Apple simply because it hasn't happened yet. Um, though I've posted quite a lengthy article discussing smoke and flame on the FX Guide site, which alludes to our best intel on what we think is likely to happen in terms of the pro market. Um, mm. And uh, I guess it's a bit a bit pointless in us speculating, though I certainly am hoping for a modular-designed uh, um, uh, device. But one of the things I, I was struck with during the week, and I hope this is part of whatever is announced uh, by the time you guys are hearing this, I heard about uh, Thunderbolt 2. Now, Jace, Thunderbolt's been yes. great in terms of uh, 
theoretical and practical implementation of high-speed delivery for certainly um, digital cinematography when dealing with data transfers, though it comes with a bit of a tax in the sense that any device that has Thunderbolt in it uh, really does um, get slugged with this extra tax. So, for example, cheap Thunderbolt drives is a bit of a an axiomoron because the uh, drives, no matter how much they cost, get this thwacking great. I think it's like a hundred dollars or more tax of um, being able to. Hundred and fifty. Right. Well, Thunderbolt two is now out, which doubles the speed which is of Thunderbolt. Insane. Uh, I think that's incredible. Like double Thunderbolt yeah. speed is really pretty serious. Which is, of course, why we think that it would be used as part of a modular design for a Pro Mac system that would let you build up sections like a Lego set rather than um, than just having a giant tower. But, of course, you guys will know about that now by the time we um, we broadcast this. But the specs, uh, somebody, I was pointing this out to someone, I thought it was pretty incredible that it had gone up twofold. And they said, well, actually, when they announced Thunderbolt, the intention oh, yeah. was going to go up tenfold, tenfold in about five to seven years. Um, these, are, these are astonishing data rates. I saw a, I saw a, and I've got a link in the show notes here somewhere. I saw along the way someone did a real-world comparison between Thunderbolt One and USB Three, and there wasn't a lot in it, real world. From um, uh, you know, the theory is that there is a big difference, but uh, in reality, not so much. I'll, I'll flick you that link and put it in the in the, in the notes. But um, yeah, so Thunderbolt definitely needed to have. Um, a bump up, and so hopefully with the capabilities of this, I think yeah. By the again, no point us talking about it. But I'm hoping I'm 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 all happy with modular as long as one of the modules is yeah, as long as it doesn't hobble us. And, and their idea of the Pro in Mac Pro uh, has no genetic link to what they thought was Final Cut Pro. And uh, yeah, that we've you know their idea of pro is still what it used to be, and uh, our capabilities aren't being we're not being forced. Every single one of our you know everyone everyone wants everyone wants a, everyone wants expandability. Everyone wants the ability to run any number of uh, breakout cards, and uh, hopefully they have. Uh, Hopefully they've kept that in mind, and uh, Thunderbolt Two will 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 see us through, and we're not going to have to wait months and months, and it's not going to be um, the Thunderbolt tax doesn't get doubled with the upgrade. Yeah, I mean it is true that uh, Intel is trying to control Thunderbolt to avoid it being managed by committee, but it does seem that it's restricting its um, almost throttling its adoption by imposing such a hefty, uh, hefty tax on it, which is kind of odd, actually, because I think of Intel generally as being one of the good guys in terms of helping to get uh, technology out. And certainly um, they do what's in Intel's interest, but they've been so good in getting lower and lower power consumption, high performance computing through that it just seems vaguely odd that they um, are stopping Thunderbolt adoption by trying to sort of, you know, impose quite a steep licensing um, agreement per level that being said i mean i run thunderbolt right on my that desk. has to have impacted it that has has to that has to have held it back that has to have held the adoption back that has to have stopped manufacturers making it knowing full well they're going to have to put 150 bucks on every sort of item that they make it's it's definitely it, so it forces it to the way to the high end so that people you know that they're only going to manufacture big tick items where they know that 150 is less of a hit um, so it's astounding, actually, when you look at it, that you can buy the smaller, you know, like GTEC Thunderbolt drives for the prices you can. You imagine actually how much is going out the door to someone else and how much is actually in the rest of the, 
in the rest of the gear. So it's 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 a real real battle, and uh, it's it's nuts. It's a completely bonkers marketing concept when you're dealing with something that should be smaller and cheaper and faster, and uh, you just completely um, you know backward step. But anyway, maybe they'll change it. Maybe well, they'll change it. Maybe the maybe the uh, manufacturers have spoken or will speak and have a bit of a bit of say in how it goes forward. So, on a semi-related topic, um, and uh, as I tend to do, I'd like to segue around things, I want to get over to the Red Room. Um, a while ago, it was announced that Red was going to partner with a company that's not Red; it's an independent company that was going to help have uh, 4K delivery to the home. The theory was that we'd be able to have a effectively almost a, a service that was like, I guess, an, an Apple iTunes kind of thing that would allow you to distribute content at 4K for 4K playback. This would, of course, dovetail in with what was going on with uh, Red Ray, but also the, um, in particular, the Red Projector, which was going to be out by this stage. And this was all going to allow us to not only have 4K capability, have 4K uh, playback in the home but be able to get original content at 4k big fanfare one of the things i think really grabbed the attention of people jason was the idea that this would be a a vehicle for independent filmmakers to have an actual revenue stream that they could produce a 4k film and then feed it into this uh, pipeline yeah i think it's um a really interesting idea and um to be able to it's kind of like you know the vimeo um, paid paid Vimeo distribution kind of model, but uh, to be able to do have 4K being piped to the people that are really interested in it and well healed ones uh, at that to begin with to get to people who uh, have the uh, facility to be able to play it properly and make the most of it rather than just playing your 4K content on a on the only thing available to them like some sort of laptop screen. So yes, it's been. Uh, announced a while ago, and there's been a little bit of radio silence, and everyone kind of wondered um, what what was the deal with Atomax. Yeah, I genuinely thought that it had either gone away or I it had sort of just was a spent force. But it was actually you that um, that got hold of Scott for us to talk to, wasn't it? Yeah, he's um, uh, obviously they're getting closer to their launch, and I was very keen to start reaching out to people and to get the message out there. So. Happy to help. Now there's a message. Yes. Now, Scott uh, and the company are actually based in Honolulu. And so uh, last week or the week before, I got to talk to um, Scott uh, about IMAX now, which is a really interesting problem for me because I really had uh, seen pretty much radio silence, as you'd said. And I was unaware, um, as most people, I think, are, that if you look them up on the website, you get to this um, kind of information screen thing that's been there for a while at odemax.com or odemax.com and it has a thing there about the fact that the 4k is you know so much bigger and they're going to be competitively doing stuff what i didn't know is that they were showing at nab a um, prototype of the user interface so if you actually go to showcase.odemax.com which is actually not a link you can get to from the main site but is still up at the moment this is a uh, a screen that shows you what will actually happen once the thing goes live, and it involves a bunch of channels. So a filmmaker or a team or a production company or whatever could actually set up channels and have um, content distributed over their channels. 
It is a way for independent filmmakers to distribute their work. But I was kind of concerned about a few things, Jason, as we'll hear in the interview in a minute. For a start, I'm thinking, how much 4K is there in the world? And what if somebody shoots 4K and posts it 2K? Does that mean that it won't be there? I mean, what if somebody makes a really great feature film and it actually, you know, shot on red, uh, but they did it for whatever reason in stereo and it was a 2K mastering? Does that mean that's excluded? And... uh, I mean, how does this and did kind they of... shoot on not on red, and is that excluded? And and also, you know, genuinely speaking, uh, how the hell are they going to download these things? It seems like it's going to take a really long time. But more, more, I guess, than anything, you know, why the heck have they gone sort of radio silence? Why are we waiting to hear? Well, let's cross now to that Red Room interview where I put a lot of those questions to Scott. And I have to say, I completely confess here that I, I was, uh, I, I try and research any interview we do here at FX Guide a lot, and I had you know, searched everywhere for information on this. So if you guys are listening to this like me, you probably had a lot of questions. You haven't had any good place to have them answered. And so uh, hopefully this will, I uh, can't solve all the problems because some of them are still in uh, limbo, but it will address a lot of the issues that I think the Red community in particular had about how this operation is going to run. You are entering the Red Room. I guess the first question is, uh, where is the uh, company and the service at at the moment? Because we haven't heard much uh, since the initial announcement. Is that linked to delays in um, red hardware or, or what's the story? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's things I can say and things I can't. But, uh, you know, the just a little while ago we were saying it was coming out soon and then very soon, and I think we're up to extremely soon now. I, I don't have an exact date, but... Uh, uh, you should be uh, Red Red Ray is actually shipping some um, beta units. Uh, I understand um, over the next week or so, um, and Otomax is ready to go. Right. So uh, we have some we have some content, and when those Red Rays um, roll out in people's houses, they'll be able to go to Otomax and download content and view it on their uh, on their Red Ray players. So let's walk through the actual process of how it's going to run uh, when that starts up for those people that aren't so familiar with the details. So uh, let's say I buy um, a player at this stage and uh, somebody else has made a film. How does the service actually work? As an end user, you're, some content's going to be on the Red Ray when it gets into your house already. Um, so we're, we're, <coughs> Red has done an amazing job getting very high quality, just beautiful 4K images um, through the Red Ray. Um, but the, the files, even though they're doing a lot better at compression than HEVC, the files are still fairly large. <clears throat> so it does take some time to move them around the Internet. Um, one of the ways that we are uh, responding or dealing with that is by preceding content onto the players. So Red has done this ingenious system of separating out the um, the actual asset from the license. Um, so we can pre-send an asset to a player before somebody has even purchased it. And then when they get to the point where they're looking at um, purchasing something, if we've done our job well and we've preceded the right content, um, a lot of that's going a lot of the viewing experience is just going to be instantaneous. How the films get to us is, and that, that's another radical thing that that Otomax is doing, we are really leveling the playing field, opening it up to all kinds of, of players. Um, so we do welcome and do, and do have <clears throat> relationships with um, the larger studios, um, but we welcome anybody who has a, a, de- a decent film. 
to um, uh, create a channel on Odomax and put their content up there and make it available to people. So that, I was sort of answering both ends of your question there. Um, but uh, we allow, <clears throat> we're going to have a lot of, we already have a lot of indie content and it's growing daily. Um, and combine that with uh, the, the big players. Um, so when you turn on your your Odomax player, there's a, I'm sorry, your Red Ray player. Um, there's a uh, an on-screen display that shows you some of the content on there, and then you can also control the experience through Odomax, and that's either through any browser, and also we have a, a currently an I, um, an iOS app. Uh, we don't have an Android app yet, but we're working on it. Um, so you fire that up. It actually communicates to your RedRay player through our system. And uh, you're able to control both um, viewing and uh, actually playing the content that's on your RedRay player through that system. So just uh, let me pick up on a couple of points there. Just that last one. So I've got my app sitting on my iPad. You said it's communicating to us. Do you mean it's communicating through the Internet back to head office, which goes then back down to my player in my room? Or there's some hardware that you're providing on the Red Raid player that's communicating from the iPad to the to the box. Uh, the first one. Okay. So it's going through the internet back to the box. Okay. Um, and that's that's. Uh, so it's it's interesting because you can control your box from anywhere, which is cool. But you can also you know there's another component to Odomax and that's theaters. And one of the things that theaters are going to be able to do is set up a centralized knock to run their theaters. So they'll, they'll be able to fire off um, movies and have them start and monitor them remotely, even without being in the, uh, uh, in the projectionist booth. Now, the Automax app you're talking about isn't actually released yet, is it? It's, uh, it's going to be released presumably once things start rolling out. That's right. It's not released yet. Okay. Now, getting back to your pre-seeding um, or pre-seed <laughs> the content, um, how is that going to work? Because clearly if the files are pretty big, I don't want you know, 14, 15, 25 movies coming down to my machine on the off chance that I'm going to pick one of them. Uh, because I just uh, certainly, I guess if I had an unlimited bandwidth download and I didn't really care about stuff, it would not hurt. But even then, it's, you'd have to download a heck of a lot to be accurate in what I'm going to pick, aren't you? You're right. And so the end user is going to have control over that. So you can decide whether or not you want anything to precede. So people who do have unlimited bandwidth um, will, you know, they, they shouldn't care. Um, but people who have a limited bandwidth, they obviously do care. It can affect both, you know, how their network works and, uh, you know, and what kind of bill they get at the end of the month. So we give control over the end to the end user whether or not they want um, to opt into that. Uh, and, and another aspect of that is we don't necessarily, depending on your speed, so we can look at your download history to the Red Ray. Um, and if your speed is good enough, we don't need to uh, download the entire movie to your uh, Red Ray before it starts playing. So you can start watching the movie even when only, you know, say, a, a quarter or a third of the movie has downloaded to your player. And then we can download the rest while you're watching the movie. Um, so it's not streaming, but uh, it, it's good. It's good enough in our testing that it works for people who have pretty fast internet. I, at the, you know, at my office, I've got great internet, of course, but uh, you know, at my house, I have residential internet, and it's only 16, 17 megabits per second down. But uh, it's good enough for me to have about a quarter of the movie on when I start watching. 
and the rest downloads while I'm watching. Yeah, I'm quite familiar with that with, say, iTunes, where it sort of starts downloading whenever it works out that the amount of time for the movie left to play exactly. is less than the download time um, uh, or more. We, we, uh, we, we start watching. So, um, so what's the sort of uh, cost model for this? Am I buying content on a per-movie basis? Is there a, uh, a subscription fee? How does it work? We have a couple of different models um, rolling out, and uh, but the, the first model, the one that we can talk about right now, is uh, fairly simple. You're you're buying the asset, um, and you're buying it in perpetuity. Um, so we will um, work with the uh, producers to uh, with the rights holders to set what those prices are. Um, but some of the pricing is not has not been made public yet, and I unfortunately can't talk too much about it right now. So if I um, bought a film in, will... in perpetuity, so let's say uh, let's say a, a Mike's film comes out and somebody buys it, it's downloaded to their player and they're watching it. When they're finished watching it, if is there and there must be some capacity to delete it to free up space. Does that mean they can then re-download it any time in the future because they already own it, or is there some mechanism for taking the files off and storing them elsewhere? Uh, yes, to both questions. So <clears throat> the RedRay has been built to work with um, external storage. So you can connect external storage to it, and you can move content over there. Um, you can also plug in you know, a USB drive, and you could download your movie to that USB drive and then delete it from the RedRay player. Um, but because you bought that uh, asset in perpetuity, you could also re-download it for free later. And again, talking about the separation between the asset and the license, of course you can, a you can download the asset at any time. Um, without necessarily even paying for it. So, but it gets a little confusing. But to answer your question, yeah, you, they can. Um, <clears throat> you can store it on external storage and bring it back into your Red Player, or just play it on your Red Player through uh, the Red Ray Player from that external storage. Um, but yes, you can also download it in the future if you deleted it. So I'm sure people listening that are filmmakers are saying, okay, well, what's the piracy issues here? If I can copy off the movie, and what's stopping someone from taking that thumb drive? Uh, and walking over to somebody else's player. Well, that's a good, that's a fantastic question. The, um, there, there are several layers of uh, protection against that, and some of that's built into the Red system itself, and that's before it even gets to Otomax or deals with Otomax, and some of it's on the Otomax level. So that asset, no matter where it is, even if it lives out in the internet, um, is not going to play anywhere but on the RedRay system, and in fact, it won't start playing until it's um, connected to a specific RedRay player. So when you make that purchase, the license is connected to that specific RedRay player. And uh, when you move that asset to another RedRay player, it won't play on there. Is it licensed to me as a user? What if I uh, drop a cup of coffee on my player and buy a new one? Yeah, so right now there's a, a limit, and you know, depending on what happens once we get these out into the real world, that limit may be adjusted to some degree. But you're allowed to have um, – you can go into your Otomax account as a home user, as an end user, and you can associate that account with several RedRay players. So if you spilled a cup of coffee on your RedRay player – well, first of all, these Red Ray players are designed for tanks to run over them. I don't <laughs> sure, know if you've seen one yet. But, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> but no, I – I know what you mean, but uh, if you spilled a, a you know a cup of acid on it and it uh, um, hurt the Red Ray player, then the um, then you got another Red Ray player. You would just go into your Otomax account and associate the ID of that new Red Ray player with your account. 
So, uh, so for, let's talk about it now from the point of view of the independent filmmakers, because there's obviously an enormous amount of interest from them as this being a really good way for distribution. Um, have you published the uh, the commission, as it were, or the the clicking of the ticket that happens between the end user price and what the actual filmmaker gets? Is what what is your kind of because obviously you know various uh, companies, Apple or whatever, would mark up a take a thirty percent cut. It's completely understandable. Um, you need to be in business. Have you published what your click is going to be? We haven't published that yet. Um, it's coming out quick, but unfortunately, it's not something I can say right now. Um, I, I do. I can say that it's it's extremely competitive. Um, competitive in the sense that we're giving more to the rights owner, to the producer, to the filmmaker um, than most of our most or maybe all of our competitors. So it, it's very very strong, but uh, I can't talk about specific figures quite yet. And you don't require any exclusivity with your uh, content that's being provided this way. You provide, I guess, exclusivity in the sense of being exclusive providers to Red Rays, but a producer could have their stuff presumably in a number of uh, outlets, one of which would be yours? Absolutely. We, we don't require exclusivity. Um, it's an option, uh, you know, and there are certain things we can do with you and work with you if, if you do want to be exclusive. But, you know, there aren't millions of Red Rays out there in the field right now. So it certainly makes sense that people want to use um, the Red Ray as one avenue to get 4K content to the home. Um, and right now we're the only ones doing that. Um, but yeah, no, they, they certainly should and would and will um, connect with other outlets to, to get their films out to the, to the public. One of the things that I've joked about for many independent filmmakers, given the uh, now sort of uh, explosion that we've happily seen in the production of films, is it's less of a problem with piracy and more a problem with obscurity. What are the sort of options for somebody? Is there any kind of promotional marketing, anything to do with being able to then promote their film? In other words, get it so that people are even aware of it? Um, shorts, trailers, anything to do with how someone would say, hey, that film I hadn't heard of that's shot on uh, Red looks really interesting. I'm going to download it and watch it. Yeah, we do have avenues for that. Um, you know, we're, we're not a full-service uh, uh, studio. And we're not a full-service uh, advertising agency. Um, but everyone who's every channel owner who signs up with uh, Odomax gets their own channel. And if when you see the interface, you'll see. I don't know if you're able to get to uh, NAB, but uh, you can also actually see the interface right now, at least for a short period of time, at showcase.odomax.com. But you'll see that when you click on a channel, um, the channel has a particular look and feel. It has its own background. It has its own information. And the channel owner has direct real-time control uh, through a content management system, has direct real-time control over the look and feel of their channel. And that channel is public, even to people who don't have access or don't own uh, a Red Ray. So to some degree, you know, we're giving you uh, an, a, a website uh, of your own um, so to speak, on uh, Otomax, which is getting a lot of publicity, and, and the publicity is going to grow much faster over the next couple of weeks as, as it all goes public. So to that extent, yeah, we do give you a marketing channel through Otomax itself. Um, you can you know, put movies on there. You can pull them off. You can put your own trailers up there. You can put your sizzle reels up there. You can uh, you know, put the, um, the information about the channel and change that in, in real time. Um, you know, if you've got some Halloween-related movie, you can throw it up to the top of your channel every time Halloween rolls around. Um, beyond that, though, no, we, you know, as I said earlier, we're not an advertising agency. Um, we are happy to co-promote 
and for the first batch of uh, of uh, independent filmmakers getting onto Odomax, we're going to be doing a very strong co-promotion right now because uh, uh, you know Odomax, as the red rays roll out, they roll out slowly at first, but the first red rays that go out are going to go out to you know the, the list is going to look like an, an Academy Awards um, uh, uh, list. Um, you know, people who would be attending the Academy Awards are, are going to be those are the ones who are going to be getting these, this first batch of red rays. So the first people who get onto our system, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of marketing, um, a lot of PR associated with with the rollout. Um, and as that dies down and 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 moves on to the next phase, then the the primary channel that um, uh, for um, PR and for marketing that we will provide is is the website itself on Odomax. So let me just discuss the range of content now. And I, I think that's interesting at, at two ends. So let me start at the, at the super indie level. Imagine that I make a film and I've decided that uh, for whatever reason, I'm a film student or whatever. It's a, a project. I don't want to charge money for it because um, everybody worked for free and it's too complicated. Is there a capacity for me to put my film up for free? Yeah, well... To, to begin to answer that question, um, for the people who get the red rays uh, now over the next several months, um, when you get a red ray, you will have access to Odomax. So you sign up at Odomax yep. and you have your Odomax account. Um, at that point, and the deal we're making with our, our indies right now is that all of your films are available to everybody for free for the first 45 days that they own a red ray. Um, so people are going to get these red rays. They're going to plug them in. They're going to want to watch something right away. We want them to get familiar with Odomax and learn all the, the great, interesting, unique, different content we have on there. Um, and so we give them access to your content for the first 45 days. Moving beyond that, um, to have something available for the, the 4K content available for free, there are ways that that can work, and, and then there are ways where it's um, we, we would end up having to charge you. So you're actually having content on our system, and we're pushing content to people's players. Um, to, you know, there's, there's a cost associated with that. Um, and does it make sense for us to do that from a marketing perspective? Well, it depends on what the content is. So there's no blanket way for all content to, to just automatically be free through our system um, to some extent that, you know, that could hurt us financially. But as I talked about earlier, because the asset can be separated from the license and because it can even be delivered on physical media, if you distribute that content to end users and you're bearing the cost of getting that content to the end user, um, then there doesn't necessarily need to be a, a cost associated with, um, with the license transaction. Um, it's not where, you know, I understand what you're saying, and, it's, and we've actually had a lot of interest in that, a lot of people who want to show their stuff and aren't necessarily looking to, to, uh, to get d direct remuneration from the, um, from the viewing process. Um, so we do have some channels, but it's, you know, it's certainly not what we want the primary focus of Odomax to be of, of just giving away free movies. There, there is a channel that, that sort of will happen, but that, that's a little more complicated. Okay, but we've been talking about feature films. My next question is, what about a short film? I mean, some short films already are happily sold. You know, Pixar's had a huge record of selling its short films, but tons of other people make short films um, for Sundance or whatever. Is there a possibility of having a short run? Is there a minimum kind of duration of a film that's going to be uh, sent out this way? You know, that, that's, a, that's a good question. That's something we've spent a lot of time talking about. You know, there, there are incredibly successful just, you know, 11-second films 
Um, and, and you know the the channel for that is called YouTube. Um, but you know people have put them out there. It's something they shot on their on their uh, cell phone. You know what is the limit of a short film where it actually is is something that's um, you know cinematic as opposed to something that's just you know Charlie bit my finger level of thing. Um, that, that's a tough question to answer, um, and I think it's something that we're probably going to do more by field testing than by just you know coming down with a pronouncement about you know your movie has to be two minutes long. Um, we are very interested in shorts. We've had a lot of uh, of input from people who have just fantastic shorts. We've been spending a lot of time watching shorts over the past three uh, several months while we've been collecting content. Um, there's incredible stuff out there. Um, and we, we definitely want to put it on the system. But I don't have a clear answer for you right now about whether you, it's got to be two minutes long or five or ten or, or, or whatever. So speaking conversationally, not in terms of some kind of um, you know hard and fast ruling, it sounds like what you're saying is if somebody's made a film film as opposed to you know shot something uh, that's sort of random and it's you know at a quality that makes sense, you're not opposed to... Uh, whatever duration that is, though you don't want to become YouTube uh, and you don't want to become, you know, Vimeo for 4K that is free upload for corporate videos or for uh, marketing material, for example. Yeah, you know, there's a possibility. I mean, we've we've spent a lot of time and and a lot of money and and had some very smart people, um, not me, but you know, truly smart people, um, putting this system together. And this system can could be used for a lot of those things, but it, it probably won't be under the Odomax brand. So there is a possibility to take this technology and do you know some or, or all of the things that you just mentioned. But the Odomax brand is really about great stories, um, and you know the resolution is incredibly important. We're, we're the world's first um, UHD 4K um, delivery system. So obviously we care a lot about the resolution, but it's really about stories, and we want people to come to Odomax thinking that these are fantastic stories and this is a place where I go to, to watch great stories. But if it's a fantastic story and it's, you know, four minutes long, that's, that's fine with us. And uh, we're very happy to, to show those on Odomax and to, uh, you know, present those to the public. The, the actual word Odomax is a, is a made-up word, but the, uh, the beginning of it, Ode, is from the, you know, the original Greek Odes, meaning stories. Uh, and that's what, you know, Max meaning just big, right? But Odomax is really about uh, this fantastic place to to tell and show and watch stories. Um, so yeah, we're, we're not trying for Odomax in, in any way to be the next YouTube or to be the next Vimeo. Um, in fact, we're not trying to be the next Vudu or the next uh, uh, you know iTunes or the next Amazon. Um, we are not only a um, you know a different technology and a different resolution. But at our core, we're a very different uh, business proposition, both to the people who are watching movies and to the people who are selling those movies. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, there are lots of really good films um, that have been shot high res, but sometimes are posted at lower res. If there's a major theatrical film, um, and I'm making one up now, but imagine there was like a Dark Knight 4 that was shot on uh, red, but had uh, its final delivery wasn't 4K, is there any capacity for that to go out through the network, or it has to be a 4K master? No, that, that's, that's a, a, a common misperception of what we're doing and, and what we're interested in here. So the, the guys at Red have done this incredible job of creating this encoder. And you know, if your film is mastered at 4K, the encoder, and you push it through the encoder, it's just going to look unbelievably gorgeous. Um, you know, we have several of these 
uh, 85-inch 4K TVs floating around the office. And when we sh- people see it, the first time they see it, they the, one of the most common questions is, is this 3D? Um, and we have to explain to them that they, they are, in fact, not wearing any glasses and <laughs> this is not 3D. Um, so the content is, is, uh, is, is unbelievable. But the encoder will also take um, something that was mastered, you know, whether it was shot at 2K or, or shot at 4K, something that was mastered at 2K, and it will up-res it. Um, and those look stunning as well. And we're, we're seeing results. You know, it depends on how the movie was shot and, and what, you know, what the lighting is. And unfortunately, even though my title is director at Otomax, I, I don't know anything about directing a movie. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it depends on the original content. But, you know, if the content's good, and, and by good, I don't necessarily mean whether it's mastered at 2K or 4K, but if the content is good and it's pushed through this incredible encoder that the Red Guys have done, um, you end up with things that are stunning. And not, not admittedly as stunning as a true 4K shot in 4K or 5K or whatever it was shot in and then, you know, mastered in 4K and then encoded. Um, it won't look as good as that, but it, it's going to look worlds better than a Blu-ray player. And when you play it on a, four, a true 4K TV, a, a great 4K TV, um, it, it's still stunning. And people still tend to ask that same question, is this 3D? So... We are not limiting people to. We are not limiting Otomax to people who have shot on red. Um, it can be shot on anything, um, and we're not limiting to people who necessarily even shot it in 4K in the first place. Um, that's our goal. That's our ideal, and those are the movies that are really going to stand out because of the you know the incredible technology that Red has. But uh, Otomax is not limited to that. Well, one of the interesting things we're working with is some of the most beautiful results we're getting, and I'm sure this won't surprise you, but uh, some of the most beautiful results we're getting are from classic movies. Hmm. So those are being scanned into 4K and encoded, and they are just unbelievably gorgeous. And you're able to see some of these, I can't mention specific titles yet, but you're able to see some of these classic movies that are shown through Otomax on a Red Ray on a TV and people for decades have not seen it at this quality. Um, you know, you'll take well again, I can't talk about titles, sure. but you know, imagine big, big classic movie and people have been seeing that big classic movie for the last several decades, but they haven't seen it the way it was su- supposed to be seen, you know, originally. Um, but now through the scanning technology and through the encoding technology and the stuff that red's done and the stuff that these incredible TV manufacturers are doing, and the Otomax system, you're able to see these classic films in ways that you've never seen before. So I know you're not an iTunes, but just to use an analogy that, that from them, um, you know, they offer me HD and SD at two different prices because sometimes I only want SD because it's a comedy and it's really not, uh, you know, cinematically uh, something that I really want to bother with. And other times, of course, it's, you know, Lawrence of Arabia and I'd be an idiot not to see it in, uh, in high res. Would you have a separate pricing model for different resolutions, or is it just you know everything gets up-resed? Yeah, it, it, it's a little confusing, and and um, you know sometimes I got to admit it's a little confusing even to me. But we are not necessarily talking about uh, you know there are two different things. What it was well, there's there's several different levels of getting a movie through the Odomac system. First of all, what resolution was it shot at? Um, yep. What resolution was it mastered at? You know, what happened when you encoded it? Um, all of those different things. But the, the net result is 
you know, whether, you know, there, there's 4K and then there's 4K, and I understand that, but uh, the net result is, is 4K. So we actually are not showing different resolutions in terms of, you know, the, the um, encoding that we're doing at the very end of the process. Oh, Those I'm sorry. So you're saying that, that you would be taking different resolutions, preferably 4K, but different resolutions, and your delivery is always 4K? That's right. Our delivery is always 4K. Now, what we we have addressed that issue. Um, it hasn't been resolved, but I think the, probably the most common way we'll resolve it. If you remember when TV first came out, there was you know they had HD TV, not when TV first came out, but when HD TV first came out, um, there were still uh, the vast majority of shows were not HD. Yeah. Um, but some of them were, and so for the the shows that were not um, HD they would have a little icon on the show that said, you know, this is not HD, so that when the resolution didn't look so great, um, you could understand it and hopefully forgive it. Um, we're looking probably at some system like that. So there's true 4K, shot, mastered, encoded at 4K, and those are going to blow you away, and, th and those we don't need any, any kind of icon on. To answer your question, we don't have a, a separate pricing model right now because of the way that we deliver everything in 4K. But if it wasn't originally shot or mastered in 4K, um, there is a possibility that we may make a notification of that, um, but we're not we're not differentiating on price at this point. Right. So, in other words, you're basically trying to deliver a theatrical experience of a narrative form or documentary form in the highest quality you can, depending on where it's sourced. Um, and your aim is to try to work with filmmakers to do that. It sounds like um, uh, it's can be heavily tied to uh, not only the 4K monitors that we've already mentioned, but also you must be really looking forward to 4K projection. Yeah, and you know we've we've we actually have uh, you know working together with Red, um, they have an incredible uh, studio there, Red Studios Hollywood. Um, we've actually seen Red 4K projection, and actually they're actually working on Red 4K projection, um, and they announced it on on RedUser.net um, that it's coming this year. Yep. Um, so they're going to have, uh, you know, laser-based uh, 4K projection. But to, you know, to answer your question in short, uh, yes, <laughs> we're very much looking forward to to that to 4K projection. And the other That's thing that the Red Ray uh, the Red Ray provides is 3D support. So that begs the yep. question: Will you provide 3D films to feed into that? Oh yeah, yeah. Our system is capable of of uh, you know delivering and providing 3D films. Obviously, you need the uh, you know the right equipment at the endpoint. But, uh, yeah, Otomax is, is fully 3D capable. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking time to walk us through all that. Um, I look forward to uh, those Red Ray shipping and you going uh, public, and uh, we'd love to loop around with you and find out uh, the pricing when that happens. But I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Mike. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Scott, for getting in touch. And uh, you can follow uh, Otomax on, on Twitter, and I believe you know you can obviously contact him um, directly uh, through that Twitter feed that is actually at Odemax, O-D-E-M-A-X, on Twitter. Um, okay. Uh, well, that was good. Yeah, good to get a few, a few things answered. It was um, definitely a, a, a very... Uh, a very grey area for a lot of people, and uh, it was uh, a lot of noise uh, with not a lot of, uh, you know, um, not a lot of signal. Well, as you heard, I mean, I think these guys are somewhat hamstrung just by waiting for those uh, those red products to ship, and you know, not quite sure exactly when that will be. 
But um, yeah, you know. Yes. It's a hard, a hard yard um, trying to promote something that doesn't quite exist yet. Getting, getting energy behind it. But uh, yeah, we'll get there. We can see. What do you it think? Evolves. What do you think about this idea that uh, that he mentioned that basically um, uh, people are going to be getting those based on being kind of celebrities and sort of VIPs. In other words, that most of those initial red rays are going out with content already on them, but to kind of Hollywood. Is that a good idea to pepper it that way, or should they be paying more attention to the indie filmmaker? Well, it's, there's, it's, I see it as kind of good and bad. In a way, it's sort of reinforcing this little bit of this kind of red is not doesn't feel like it's for the little guy, kind of indie guy anymore, and it does feel like it's sort of... Um, sort of trying to, you know, further elevating and more interested in in the high-end Hollywood A-lister kind of set. But that said, this is also potentially, if you imagine they've got all these red rays going into for free, I think, or, you know, at least, yep. you know, as a, um, to, 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 you know, try and accelerate these things, going into the living rooms of the well-heeled and connected. Um, and your, it's your opportunity to get your footage in their faces, um, and potentially even you know make some money out of it. But to, you know, it's exposure for your uh, very in a you to be able to be a um, big fish in a small sea for a while until this thing really expands. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot of content there yet, and you have an ability to um, you know it's a big good opportunity to to get some um, well-heeled eyeballs in, in front of your content. Um, if nothing else, so there is that to be said for it, and um, I guess you know you, the, the 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 fact that the there's a lot of original 4K content from the the Red One days still there to be to be shared, and so there's probably still uh, the ability for the indie you know early adopters to. You know, to still get their content out there, it's not. This is not just like for you know, shot last week, five K epic stuff. This is open to a lot of people. And again, as he said, it's not yeah. just for. for I mean, for they, red, they and for, in for mid the May, set, in know, mid to late May, they asked for a hundred independent filmmakers to apply for channels on the Automax uh, system. Um, yeah. But I've got to say, not until the crimson four K projectors come along do I think even red rays are going to you know, take off the way people hope. I think the, the Red Ray needs the Crimson 4K to really capture the imagination. That being said, Sony has a really good run of 4K um, monitors. So, you know, it's not only a red game, but, uh, God, I really want to see those Crimson 4K yeah. projectors. Look, I think it's, you know, it's adding to the push for 4K and it's helping accelerate that. I think Sony are doing their own, obviously Sony are doing their own, um, side of things, so everyone's pushing 4K. It's just adding to, adding to the acceleration of it as a format, and the I guess the mindset that if you are shooting and if you're shooting in high res, but finishing in 1080 or finishing in 2K or just unless it's completely impossible visual effects wise or budgetarily. If it's within your realm to finish in 4K, then yeah, you know, wake up and smell the, the massive trade show coffee brewing. It is, um, uh, this is a format that will be um, gaining traction and uh, because of, you know, all of this push. So I think if you've got the ability, to, another sign that if, you get, if you're going to, 
you've got the option if you're starting to make decisions right now as what do I finish in that um, you know for f at least sort of in some way f not for forever but in some way future proofing your material you know, you've got to start thinking 4k mm. at least well Jason I think we're just going to have to wrap it up there do you want to give out the Atomax, uh I've got a couple of quick little shout outs and things yeah. at the end if I can um, a new podcast, Digital Cinema Cafe, uh, at digitalcinemacafe.com, and you can search them on Twitter and obviously on iTunes. Starting to get out a whole bunch of um, really interesting uh, conversations out there now. It's a new filmmaking podcast. It's not a news show, not a gear show. They're just stupid. It's designed to be discussions with filmmakers across the board, be it directors, DPs, animators. Uh, and they've done a first kind of uh, like one episode a day almost for their first week um, with Diamond Brothers and uh, Kenny Stoff, who's the director of photography of this uh, Dave Grohl documentary. I don't know if you've seen that or seen the trailer for it, Sound City. Have you seen that, Mike? It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, amazing. worth a look. Um, uh, he shot that on, on Epics, multiple Epics on the doco. So that was an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm in there, but don't let that put you off. Um, and there's a fair few more episodes to come, obviously, and hopefully these guys are going to go beyond the seven episodes. <laughs> I know they listen, so they, they, I kid because I care. Don't, no podcasting <laughs> chaps. So uh, digitalcinemacafe.com, and, uh, yeah, so subscribes there. Also, just a couple of quick things. I've got some awesome bits of gear from Movcam. I've really sort of connected to those guys, and I'm getting um, to play with a bit of their... Um, pre-production stuff which is coming shortly unfortunately i still can't give you prices and availabilities and things yet but um i think in the next couple of weeks they're rolling out a whole bunch of stuff for the epic i really like these guys they listen they're uh, talking to the industry their build quality this is out of china but it's, it's very much um really strong connection with 16 by 9 inc who is their major uh, u.s distributor and these guys are very clever the guy who makes it uh, and designs it uh, really has really knows what he's doing and really knows you know almost like he, he, he he's not a shooter but he's, it's like he, he he knows he can see inside my brain um i did a couple of things i'll put links i'll give you links to put in the show notes mike of just a couple of little demo videos i did on on vimeo of uh, a really nice lightweight slide plate thing you know i think uh, if anyone who has seen that uh, gear demo video I did for you for, uh, as a uh, FX uh, guide, um, uh, quick take or a um, yep, our, our rundown of what was in your video, camera bags, going through my gear, and I had that really low, sh low, low profile kind of quick release shoulder pad thing which I made over slavishly in my workshop for you know grinding and welding and <laughs> hacking bits of gear with together. your arc welder built that uh, they've basically <laughs> exactly my thermic lance they've basically um basically gone ahead and just again they've sort of inceptioned me in the middle of the night and uh, basically built this this thing a really nice low profile slide plate dovetail thing which you slide off uh, a dovetail and then you slide on a uh, shoulder pad with that has the arrow rosettes all bolted onto it so you can have your 
handheld brackets and your 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 your, your hand grips and, and and roll cables and things all attached to that shoulder pad thing, and then you just slide it out of the way, and you're ready to slide straight onto your tripod. Um, all very designed to keep the weight of the camera low and keep it over your shoulder and not have to add too much other sort of balancing weight. Keep it very much kind of cat on the shoulder kind of uh, mindset. And they've also built something that Red never have, um, a run stop, uh, a wooden run stop um, hand grip. I'm going to do a... Um, you love round hand grips. I want to get back and do a roundup of, of wooden hand grips uh, <laughs> of what's available now because there's been a fair few released now and um, I'm a bit of a fan of these lovely little ergonomic um, jewels and... Uh, yeah, give a bit of a roundup of who's making what and how much and, and the differences in, in all the different options now. And I'm so glad that we actually do have those options. Um, but Movcam, another video I've got is uh, they've built a run-stop handle, uh, which is a wooden, kind of ergonomic, not, not as ergonomic as some, but uh, uh, a run-stop trigger handle, which goes onto a rosette and works with the epic specifically and you know with the epic and scarlet etc so these two items the other thing that Movcam do is apart from building stuff really beautifully and the finish is fantastic they make it really affordable stuff so i can't give out any prices for this stuff but it's you know it's cheaper than you'd imagine and um you know maybe follow my twitter feed or or, or i will update these two vimeo pages um with prices when I find out more from them, but uh, availability is probably in the next couple of weeks, and expect you know a large amount of affordability. And uh, so yeah, I really love these guys. And um, yes, that is. And one other quick last little one, Mike, which is sort of in your more in your um, headspace. Uh, someone pointed me to a Vimeo of. Um, the presentation that Scott Ross and Scott Squires did at the NAB Supermeet uh, at, at Vegas. Yep. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but it was a really great uh, heads up for the rest of, you know, a really good heads up for the, for the VFX industry and for the rest of the industry as to what the hell's going on with uh, the craziness in the VFX game and uh, the competition and uh, potential solutions. It's, it's, Terrific! It's quite a long video. It's about forty minutes long, but it's it's their um, really in depth presentation from guys, as you know, that uh, know their shit and have come from ILM and digital domain, and a really great uh, overview on on the issues they face. So that's on Vimeo. Uh, if you search on Vimeo for the state of the VFX industry, uh, you'll see their presentation. Um, that's been uh, kindly videoed and, and put up there from that from that. Uh, if you couldn't attend the super meet. Um, so again, links to that in the show notes. Great. Thanks so much for that. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Um, thanks so much guys for being with us. Thank you, Jason, for getting up at the crack of dawn. And, uh, as I say, I hope No worries. 6.15 coffee time. <laughs> I hope that by the time you guys hear this, we've all got brand new Mac pros to play with, but either way, we'll be back. Um, <laughs> when <laughs> Jace is back, thanks again so much for being with us, guys. And thanks for our producers and editors and the team in Chicago for putting this all together. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. See you guys. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.